You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Holy Spirit, we know that you are already here because you gather in the praises of your people, and we have been praising. Would you, would you continue to work in us today as we open your word? Would you use the text on the page to speak life to our souls? Help us to be present to what it is you have for us, and we will say these things and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're uh, three weeks into a sermon series called After Life. And we're talking about what's going on, because there's a lot of questions about this. I get a lot of questions about this, about what's going on after we pass. And so we're talking about it five weeks, the five Sundays of October, also because it's a little spooky, right? We're just matching the theme to what's going on in your yards and homes after life. Feel free to send questions, and I'll do my best to answer those. But next week is Q&A Sunday, and we are going to answer any and every question that comes in about this topic. So if there's something that you've been wanting to know, I've already gotten maybe six, seven incredible questions. So something you wanted to know about this topic, please feel free to send it, and we are going to take a whole Sunday next week and go through your questions and do our best to give answers to where God speaks on that subject. And if God doesn't speak on that subject, I'll just tell you I don't know. We can do that too, right? Is that okay? That was week one. Let's step into the mystery, the tension of this all. Here's where we are. Here's what we've done. Week one, we talked about how a lot of this is a mystery. There's a lot we can't know. And our tradition, the tradition that we come from as a church, has done our best to try not to speak more uh, than is revealed in God's word. A lot of traditions want to try to fill in the blanks, and it just is not... Uh, something we want to do. We're going to emphasize more on preparation than speculation. But we did talk about heaven, and our concept of heaven, that idea of what happens when you die right now. Um, and we kind of put this diagram up, comes from God's word. There's a, couple, there's a place where everybody goes called Sheol or Hades, depending on if you're speaking Hebrew or Greek. And then within this place, uh, we get a place called paradise. If you remember Jesus on the cross with the thief, he says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Within this land of the dead, there is a place called paradise. Paul calls it with Christ. Paul wrote half the New Testament. He just says, I can't wait to be with Christ. There's a space there. And then we believe Jesus is going to come back. All Christians have believed this since the beginning. Jesus is going to come back. We talked about that last week. And then we're moving into a place called New creation, resurrection, which is what we're going to talk about today. Last week, we talked about Christ's return. We talked about what resurrection means for us, new bodies. And we talked about judgment, that there will be a judgment. And you're going to be, want to be on the right side of that. You're going to be on the right side of the judgment. Trust me. And then today, oh, then next week, Q&A Sunday, the last week, we're going to remember our dead. Those uh, family members and friends and people that we've known who have crossed over to glory before us. Why do it that week? This is the week that all Christians have done it since the beginning of Christianity. Uh, we, they take, a, a, this is what Halloween is. This is what All Saints Day is, All Souls Day. Christians have taken a weekend and remembered the saints that have gone before. And so we're going to do it 
just like the early Christians have done it and Christians around the world. Today, oh, I keep saying today and it's not today. It's not today yet. I gave you a timeline of things that we can be sure about. This is what the church has said we can be absolutely sure about the future and what happens. And the timeline goes like this. You're alive right now. If you're hearing my voice, welcome to life. You will die, probably. You will probably die. I think that's hilarious. No one's ever laughed. This is week three. You're probably going to die. You count on it. Prepare for it, okay? But uh, death is probably next in the cycle of afterlife situation. We believe that Jesus is going to return. All Christians have believed this since the beginning of Christianity. Jesus is definitely coming back. Why do I say probably with death? Because if Jesus returns right now, then you won't die. You'll be changed, transformed in the twinkling of an eye. We talked about that last week when we talked about resurrection. We will get new bodies. Everyone, every single human who's ever existed, we will also be resurrected. And then we're going to talk about new creation today. We talked about judgment last week. So Jesus is going to come back, resurrect, make new creation. Get everyone in line for a nice judgment. And then you get to go to either the reward or the other place. And that's what we're talking about today. Hell, new creation, agents of new creation. What does that mean for us now? All on the same page? Let's literally get to the same page. Our gospel reading for today, if you want to read along with me, is at the very last page of your Bible. I know we've read this passage before. 947, go to the last page you see text and flip it back one. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Genuinely, seriously, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It talks about everything that we want to talk about today. Here's what God's word says for us. 21.1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is John writing to the churches who are experiencing a ton of persecution. And he's finishing his book about his heavenly vision, about the future vision that he saw. And he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and the former earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And then I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, right? This is where God had centered God's self in the Old Testament. Coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is here with us, humanity. God will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more, and there will be no more mourning, crying, or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Then look, the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, All is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will freely give water from the life-giving spring. Those who emerge victorious will inherit these things. I will be their God, and they will be my sons and daughters. But the cowardly 
the faithless, the vile, the murderers, those who commit sexual immorality, those who use drugs and cast spells, the idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. That is the second death. A lot of good news up top. It ends a little rough, okay? It's hard. It gets wild down there. The, this is the word of God for the people of God on the Lord's day. As always, I preach head, heart, hand. Something for us to know, feel, do, so that we have a holistic faith that moves to us, through us, and out into the world. Information, transformation, action. And so I always ask the question, what is God when I read a passage? And I say this every week because I hope it's helpful to you when you read scripture, because scripture can be hard. You can ask these questions. What does God want us to know, the information? What does God want us to feel or experience? And what should we do about it? So what does God want us to know? For me, it's this, the same Jesus that makes a way to heaven talks the most about hell. I know we didn't just read about Jesus talking about hell, but there you had it there at the end. And I bring that up because Sometimes Christians want to try to figure out some fancy theology where they maybe try to get rid of hell as a part of our theology. But it's Jesus who talks the most about it in all of Scripture. Loving, kind Jesus, right? We have this picture of loving, kind Jesus who's looking for the last, the least, and the lost to get them included into God's kingdom. And also, he wants to talk a lot about hell and if I could sum it up for you in, the, in a really deep theological way, hell's real and it's really bad. That's, just, that's just about as deep and theological as I can sum it up for you. I spent 80 grand on my seminary education to tell you that hell's not great, guys. Thank you for the two people that are laughing. Appreciate that. You're like, okay, yeah, hell not good. This is the first I'm hearing about this. <laughs> The other two saints are going to be with me in paradise. Thank you for laughing. We saw it in our passage. As for that list of folks who are doing those things, their share will be the lake that burns, fire, sulfur, second death. Not good. My first exposure to hell being bad, I saw it on some Looney Tunes cartoons, right? You see it every once in a while. But for me, the scariest depiction of hell that ever happened to me was at Disneyland. <laughs> this is me, five years old, with Scrooge McDuck. Is that who that is? Ebenezer Scrooge McDuck? Just, they don't hug like that after COVID. That's a pre-COVID <laughs> hug. Look at that. <laughs> Brought it in. All my life was ahead of me, optimism and excitement, can't wait. And then my grandparents were like, let's go on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And I was like, okay, it's next to Peter Pan. It's next to Snow White. It's next to Dumbo. These are the little kid rides. And then you get sentenced for some crime, I think driving too fast. And then you get ran over by a train, and when I tell you that I thought this train was real, I literally thought I was going to die. I remember it vividly at five years old. It's just a light that goes over the top of you, but it looks like a train. I thought I was dead. I didn't even know Jesus then, and I was like, Jesus, if this is my last moments, thank you for the Dumbo ride. That was fun. And then once you get ran over by the train after sentence, you end up in hell. 
And it's scary to me as a five-year-old and me as a 38-year-old now. And the judge is there just like a demon, and there's all these demons that want to poke you with their little tridents. And then there's a giant thing that just spooks out and tries to get you. And that was my first... That was my first experience with the horror of hell. It's not good, guys. It's real. It's bad. I was scared. Scared. Jesus talks about this a lot, but it's not exactly the way that we picture it in our head. I don't know if there's tridents down there and people are stabbing you with them, and I don't know if you're getting boiled in a hot tub of lava. I don't think... When Jesus talks about it, and he talks about it the most, he talks about it differently than maybe uh, our minds have uh, and our culture has told us what it is. Jesus talks about it the most, mostly in Matthew and Luke. Mark, you get maybe one passage. John, almost not at all. Paul never mentions the word hell at all. The way that some churches and pastors talk about hell, you think it's on every page. It's not in there that much couple gospels, Paul, half the New Testament. Paul writes half the New Testament, and he doesn't talk about it at all. And so sometimes they want to be scaring you with hell every Sunday, and the Bible talks about it a little bit. So what does Jesus say about it? He's got three ways that he talks about it. He talks about it with this word, Gehenna. He talks about outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, and he talks about sometimes an unquenchable fire. Most, and I, re- I put those in order of the amount of times that he talks about it. Eleven times Jesus uses the word Gehenna. Eight times he uses the phrase outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And one or two times he talks about unquenchable fire. Let's talk about it. There's a verse. I'll just read it for you. Then, this is Jesus talking. He will say to those on his left, go away from me, you who will receive terrible things. Go into the unending fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels for I was hungry and you didn't give me food to eat. Jesus' harshest language about hell in Luke 16 and Matthew 25, the times he talks about unquenchable fire, has to do with how we treat the poor. Which is why I hope that is shocking to you. Uh, because, like I said, the way that churches have been talking about hell, this isn't uh, the kind of way that Jesus has been talking about hell. Two times, unquenchable fire, and it's both of those times is for people who are not sharing with those who are lower than us on the social ladder. Both times. His harshest language is for those who don't share with the poor. A lot of times, Jesus is talking about darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. For example... Jesus is telling a parable, and he says, Then the king said to his servants, Tie his hands and feet and throw them out into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First time I ever heard the word gnashing was I read, read these verses. But there's something snarly going on with their teeth. This is, doesn't sound like unquenchable fire. It sounds like darkness. Darkness and fire don't cohabitate together. Really, the idea behind this is separation. You're away from the king. You're on the outside of where the king is. And then our word that we use for hell comes from a Hebrew and Greek word called Gehenna. It's used 12 times in the whole Bible. 11 of them are Jesus. And when we think of hell, we, well, I'll get there. This is what Jesus says. If your right hand causes you to fall into sin, chop it off and throw it away, <laughs> which I love. He's being, you know, he's, he's exaggerating. Don't chop off your hands. 
it's better that you lose part of your body than that your whole body goes into hell. The word there is Gehenna. When we hear hell, we think of this. For some reason, volcanoes and skeletons, just like, ah, this is not at all the biblical depiction of hell. Gehenna was a real place that Jesus could literally point to. It looks like, here's a picture of it. It was the Valley of Gehenna. In the old, old days, even before Jesus in the Old Testament, there were some people who would sacrifice their children to a false god here called Molech. And God promised that he would bring swift judgment against people who did things like that. And so when Jesus says the word that we translate hell, he's pointing to a valley across the way over there. It's like if I was like, man, if you guys don't shape up, I'm sending you to Palermo. It's scary. Listen, it's not not scary. But you're thinking lava hot tubs, and Jesus is like, it's that place over there. Gehenna. The place where some really horrible, horrible stuff happened, where God promised to bring judgment against all of God's enemies right there. Not this. It looks like this. People trying to scare you with this. Disney. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride got me thinking this. And Jesus pointed to the olive grove down the street where they had a tragic memory of where people were faithless to God of Israel and tried to worship another God and they sacrificed to death their children. It was a horrible place. And so this is helpful for me when I'm talking about this concept of hell that sometimes you get fire, and sometimes that fire language is used for some people who are at the top oppressing and treating people horribly beneath them. But for the most part, Jesus is talking about this place from their tradition, and he's talking about outer darkness. And so, oh, it's, it's a historic valley where people sacrifice their children. So 20 times when Jesus is talking about hell, he's either talking about outer darkness or the valley of Hinnom. That's what Gehenna means. And so Christians throughout history have really wanted to boil down the concept of hell to a couple different views. Uh, one, eternal conscious torment is one of them, and that really is uh, the American and maybe Western concept, where you are going to be in a fire being tormented forever consciously. Most Christians throughout history don't want to use that kind of language. There's a, another smaller view that sometimes I think is helpful when I think about hell. It's that everybody gets to be in God's presence, but for some people are going to experience that horribly. They're going to hate that. Some people love sitting here and worshiping God and hearing about God's word proclaimed. They're having a heavenly time right now. And some people are like, I can't believe my family dragged me to church. This feels like hell to me. Some Christians have thought about that as far as our afterlife reality, that some people have denied God so thoroughly and denied God's image within them so thoroughly that even being in the presence of God is going to feel like torture. I teach classes at Chico State. Some people love my sociology classes because I get student evaluations at the end, and some students hate them. Same place. They're both sitting in the same room, and they're having completely different experiences. But most of Christianity has wanted to talk about hell simply as, I know we've been dwelling on this topic, eternal separation, outer darkness, that valley over there. This is how Jesus primarily talks about hell. Outer darkness, the valley over there. Let me give you some quotes and then we'll move on. Quotes from some theologians and bishops. 
Hell is nothing else but separation of man from God. Hell is a spiritual state of separation from God. This is Theodore's Greek last name, Archbishop. <laughs> Hell is none other than the state of separation from God. Michael Cano, he was a, a, a theologian professor. My favorite bishop, Kalistas Ware, says, Hell is a point not in space but in the soul. It is the place where God is not. If Christ truly descended into hell, that means he descended into the depths of the absence of God. Absence of God, separation from God. I don't know exactly what this is going to look like, but the thing we can say for sure, based on what Jesus says to us, is that it's separation. It's not good. It's going to feel horrible. I don't know if there's going to be volcanoes and lava hot tubs, but I know it's going to be separation, and that is suffering enough. That for us is what hell is. If you have any questions, feel free to send it. It's that phone number right there. What does God then want us to feel? What is God's hope for us? What is God's desire for us? It's the passage we just read. He wants us to experience all things new. All things new. New creation is what scripture calls it. We get it from Isaiah 61. We get it from Isaiah 66. We get it from 2 Corinthians 5, Galatians 6, and Revelation 21. New creation. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We just read this. And God says, look, I'm making all things new. No crying, no death, no pain. This is what God wants you to experience. This is God's hope for you to experience on the other side of glory. Our final destination is going to be good. My deep theological thought for you is that it's probably going to be pretty great. I hope we get to enjoy it together. And it's not just something that we wait for later. But the whole Christian scripture wants you to know that it's flooding our world right now. Can I show you another quick Bible video to say to you what I'm about ready to say to you so that you can hear it twice? Here is the Bible Project talking about new humanity and new creation. Here we go. Works. But God's love has the power to create life even out of death. That's what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. And the reason Jesus is human, but a new kind of human. Yeah, when Jesus' followers met him alive from the dead, he had a transformed body that could live in heaven and earth at the same time. He's like a new category of human, one that can live and rule with God forever. Jesus is the new humanity that we're called to become. Right. He said that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. And then he sent out his followers to announce that his eternal life is available to us now in the present. We can experience eternal life now? Well, Jesus said that eternal life is knowing this God of love so that our imaginations can be transformed as we're liberated to love God and to love our neighbor. And we trust that even if we die, God's love will transform our bodies and raise us up into the new creation. And that's how the story of the Bible ends. Yeah, the ending is a new beginning with Jesus and the new humanity ruling in a united heaven and earth together. Thanks, Bible Project. Here's how I would say it. I'm going to say it to you exactly again. The end, when people talk about the end times, everybody wants to talk about the end times. They get, they get wanting to think about it. 
historically Christians have said that the end times began on Easter Sunday. That Jesus began the beginning of the end. We live in the end times, of course we do. We have been living in them since Jesus rose from the dead. And when new creation fully and finally comes, that's the end of the old. Remember, the new heaven and new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had passed away. That's what we're all waiting for. But Easter morning was the first day of new creation. Easter, that new creation thing that we're waiting for, the new heaven and the new earth, it starts when Jesus is raised. And we live awkwardly in the middle between Jesus' return and Jesus' resurrection. We're somewhere in the middle, and we get to taste both places. The fallen earth and the beauty of the new creation that comes. I think this is so important that this, to me, is Jesus' good news. This is the gospel that he came to tell us about. Sometimes Christians have boiled it down to, if you say this prayer and you confess your sins, then you get to go to that spiritual place called heaven or paradise someday. And that's true. All of that's true. But Jesus has a bigger mission in mind. So when he comes, Jesus, his first words in Mark are, he announced God's gospel, good news, saying, now is the time God's kingdom has come near. Change your hearts and lives. Believe the good news. Trust it. His gospel good news isn't that you get to leave and go to some spiritual dimension someday. It's that God has come near. That God has come close. That God is going to make this place, all of it, back into what God had originally intended it to be. Good. No pain. No death, no tears. So Jesus says God has come near, and the passage we read before said, and God's new Jerusalem comes down as a bride, and God dwells among us. This is the gospel, is that God is coming towards us and is going to be with us. And so many in the church have twisted it and said, we're going to leave this place and go somewhere else someday. The whole goal of all of Scripture is that God is coming here to make this place and you the way that God originally intended it before sin and fall and brokenness entered into creation. That's Jesus' good news. Not only Jesus experiencing new creation right now, but you are too. And this is my last point. If you've got any questions, this is a great time to send them. What does God want us to do with that? Just wait till he shows up? Yeah, do that. You should wait well. But Jesus says there's things you can be doing right now, and he uses the word ambassador. You can be ambassadors for new creation right now. Let me throw another passage for you as we're wrapping up. 2 Corinthians 5 says, So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. Some of the old translations said that person is a new creation. It's not what the scripture says. It says that person is new creation. If you are in Christ, you've already stepped into the thing that Jesus is going to do at the end of time. New creation. So if anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. The old things have gone away. Look, new things have arrived. All of these new things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God has been reconciling everything to himself through Jesus and he has trusted you with that message of reconciliation you are ambassadors of Christ in his mission to make all things new. That's what you're supposed to be doing right now. Me too. That's what we're supposed to be doing. 
is being ambassadors for Jesus in this new creation thing. 1987, this is the embassy in Ireland. It's a cool building. Um, ambassadors work in embassies. Uh, they work, and, and this is the one in Ireland. And in 1987, someone on the ambassador's staff wrote a Christmas note home to all of his friends. And he said, Ireland is horrible. Just a Christmas note. Just about 50 of his closest friends. But the letter got out and made it to the biggest newspapers all over the world and in Ireland. So this is warm Irish but dull country. That was their summary of his letter. I'll give you some of the quotes that he said about Ireland. He said, um, Ireland is pretty small potatoes <laughs> compared to other countries, which is a great pun. Listen, <laughs> compared to the other countries in Europe. The country has food and climate well-matched for each other. Dull. People were just quippier back in the day. Dreary urban scapes, dark and damp winters combined to Norway one's enthusiasm. Constant depression. He's like Gen Z, but before Gen Z, is constant. Gen Z's like, we know everything you're talking about. That's all of our life right now. Speak, they speak as if they have marbles in their mouths. American guy writing about his time in Ireland. The Engl and then he ends with something. Anyways, the English, though, are insufferable, he says. Whatever reservations I have about Ireland, at least the Irish are warm and lively human beings compared to their English cousins. America got this, and they gave him 48 hours to evacuate the country. <laughs> Fired. New York Times reported that the Irish were uh, totally offended. The Irish loved it. They, lo they were like, you've summed up our country perfectly. <laughs> they called for him to be man of the year. They all walked around saying small potatoes for a bunch of weeks. They couldn't believe that the Americans thought they were offended. They were like, this sums it up perfectly. We don't know what your issue is. They thought we should appoint this man to be ambassador because their ambassador from us was, you know, not as cool as these lines portrayed them to be. They loved it, but America thought it was embarrassing for America, and so they moved him. I say all that because what does an ambassador do? What does an ambassador do? We've got to talk about that if Jesus is going to call us ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? Ambassador is a diplomat sent by one country as its official representative to another country. That's really it. The eyes and the ears of one country. And Jesus says that you are that. That you're a representative of new creation. You've already been to the other country. Remember, if you are in Christ, you are new creation. You've tasted it. You felt it. You've been transformed by it. You are being formed into it. You have been, the power of Christ's resurrection within you, Scripture says. And so since you have been to that new country and tasted of its goodness, you now are in this country, earth, as an ambassador, a foreign agent who has come to tell everyone else about the things that you've experienced and the good thing. This is what Christ wants you to do right now. 
to tell of the goodness of God, the things that you have tasted and seen from Jesus. Because you are a new creation, and you're helping others become new creation, because all things are going to become new creation. That's our marching orders. That's our mission. You're working in the reconciliation of all things back to God as God makes all things new, including you, but also everything. Here's my conclusion. If you've got questions, send them. Hell is real and not great. It's best understood as separation from God. I would maybe take out the pictures of skeletons burning in lava hot tubs and think of it more as separation from God. Outer darkness, the bad valley over there, whatever it is. These are the language that Jesus uses most often. That God is making all things new and wants you to experience that newness. We call that new creation. And lastly, in Christ, you are already a part of new creation and you're asked to work as ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation, agents of that new creation. That's what we are doing. And that this place right here, this church, is supposed to be an outcropping, an embassy of new creation. And when people come here, they're supposed to experience the good thing that God wants for them and for us and for all of this place. And with that, as we head into a time of communion, would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for the promise that you've given us that all things will be new and all tears will be wiped away and all death will be no more and there'll be no more pain and we cannot wait as we live in a world that is marked with brokenness and pain and sadness and death. Lord, come is our prayer. And Lord, help us to experience this. You promise that we can become part of new creation when we are in you. Our lives hinge on experiencing the new creation that you have for us, that salvation, that newness of life, that eternal life that you want for us. Help us to experience that. Because as we experience it, we can be better ambassadors of it and for it, better witnesses to the mission and goal that you have for this whole place. Help us to feel it, feel that newness. Maybe even as we come now to this time of communion, would it be a time of, of regeneration, of inspiration, of you breathing new, fresh life into us? We will come with expectant hearts, anticipating meeting you here and now. Thank you for the way that your Holy Spirit has already worked in our life and in this place and in this day. We give you praise and thanks, saying these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Table Church, will you help me finish this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer? Saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.